Today's scripture reading is Colossians 1, verse 3 through 20, which can be found on page 956 of your Black Bibles. But first, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you that in this nation we are free to gather for worship. Thank you for this church and the ways you have blessed us. Thank you for the Bible. Please bless the preaching of your word today. Help us to listen and apply it to our lives, and may your Holy Spirit open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Phoebe. If your uh, Bibles aren't open uh, to our passage today, Colossians 1, on uh, page 956, uh, let me suggest that you open them as we uh, take a close look at this passage today. There's a scene in C.S. Lewis's uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, that I love. Uh, you'll remember the, the land of Narnia is under the spell of a wicked witch, and as a result, the, the land has been covered in snow and ice, uh, for many years, uh, Lewis says it is always winter, but never Christmas. And this is all because the witch has rejected Narnia's true king, Aslan the lion, and cruelly enslaved the, the talking beasts of the kingdom. 
And as Lewis's children heroes undertake their adventures, the world begins to thaw. Spring arrives. And one day, the children hear sleigh bells, and they discover a huge man in a bright red robe, Father Christmas. I love how Santa Claus just shows up in the middle of this story. And he says, I've come at last. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. This is a picture in its own way of what Christians believe is the case for our whole world because Jesus is risen from the dead. Yes, this world may sometimes be very dark and shadowed. Far too often we experience death and and suffering. But Aslan is on the move. Jesus is alive. One of the greatest reasons, I think, that we have for for believing that and for believing uh, in the historicity of the resurrection, that this really happened, is the way that the, the very first disciples were transformed by it. In a matter of days, they went from a small, discouraged, fearful group, mourning the death of their failed Messiah, like groups that would come before them and and after them. And they were transformed into the most influential movement the world has ever seen. Only the resurrection has the power to explain what happened to them and, and why they went out from Jerusalem to go out into all the world proclaiming the message that they called the gospel, the good news. Aslan is on the move. Jesus is alive. And so, in this Easter season, we, we want to ask for ourselves, what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection? And this, this passage that we just heard from Colossians 1, it tells us three things. It tells us what the gospel is. It tells us how to work the gospel into our inner being, into our souls. And it tells us how to work the gospel out to every area of life. So three things today. The gospel, working the gospel in, and working the gospel out. First, what the gospel is. Colossians 1 shows us three things. First, the gospel is a message. The church to whom Paul is writing here is in the Roman city of Colossae. And the Colossian church was not started directly by the Apostle Paul, but by this man that we heard mentioned in the passage, Epaphras. And he heard the message from Paul, probably in Ephesus, and then he brought it to Colossae. And Paul says in verse 7, This, the gospel, you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So the gospel is a message that can be heard and learned. So this is why Paul calls it gospel. The word gospel in Greek, euangelion, it just means an announcement of good news. That good news could be about anything. You know, uh, usually something momentous, though that the war is over, that a new king has come to power, that the Badgers have won the tournament. You know, that is gospel. 
And for Christians, the good news was that Jesus was risen. And because he's alive, we can have confidence that God has not abandoned our sad world. This is what Paul says in verse 13. He has rescued us from the power of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or in verse 20, Paul says this has been accomplished through the blood of his cross. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a Welsh minister at Westminster Chapel in London for 30 years, he used to ask people a question to, to see if they really understood the Christian message, sort of a, a diagnostic question. He would ask a person, are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And if they answered as they sometimes did, I'm trying, or I don't feel that I'm good enough yet, he would say, you don't get it. The gospel is not about what you must do for God. It's about what God has done for you. It's not good advice. It's good news. God saves the lost. God rescues the hopeless. God forgives the guilty. Believe the good news. That's the message. But second, the second thing we learned from Colossians 1 is the gospel is not only a message. It's also a life-giving power. Martin Luther used to say, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. We, we can't refu- uh, confuse the, the results of the gospel with the gospel itself, this message, but we also can't separate them. This is why Paul describes the the gospel as this uh, fruit-bearing and and growing tree or or plant here in in verse 6. He says, just as it, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves. So this means that, that, that this message is not just something that we learn and then we move on to other things, perhaps more advanced things of faith, It's not just a message that we believe when we first become a Christian. It's the path that we walk as we live in and into the kingdom. As it produces fruit and it it grows in us and through us. This this brings us to the third thing that we learn here. Notice how Paul describes their reception of the gospel in verse 6. He says, So it has been bearing fruit, among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This is a very strong statement. The word comprehended in Greek is is the word epigonosko. The the basic word to know something in Greek is is just gnosko. And this here is the the emphatic form, epigonosko. It's not just know the grace of God, but really know. And to this, Paul adds truly. From the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. You see what he's saying? The the fruit and the power of the gospel 
comes as we really, truly know the grace of God. We don't move beyond the gospel, but we do enter more deeply into it. Our our appreciation of the love of God, of the grace of God, should be growing deeper. What does this look like? Two things. We, We need to work the gospel in, and we need to work the gospel out. We need to work it into our own souls, and we need to apply it to everything in the world. This is what I want to talk about here as we, as we look at the rest of these verses, verses 9 to 20. First, how do we work the gospel in? Look at verses uh, 9 to 14. As Paul prays for the Colossian church, he prays for them to experience God's power in four areas. He prays that they would grow in knowledge. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And again, in in verse 10, uh, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord as you grow in the knowledge of God. He prays for action as you bear fruit in every good work, he says in verse 10. He prays for endurance in the face of suffering and, and difficult life circumstances. Verse 11, May you be made strong. May you be prepared to endure everything with patience. And finally, he prays for an attitude of of joyful gratitude. He asks that they would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So knowledge, action, endurance, gratitude, Do you see what Paul is asking for here? He's praying that the the Colossians would have this holistic experience of God's grace. It involves the mind, the emotions, the will. He's saying that if, if we're truly comprehending God's grace, if we really truly know God's grace, the gospel will be at the center of our life in such a way that it impacts everything that we think and we do and we feel. Why? Well, it has everything to do with what we saw in verse 13. Uh, A Christian believes that God has rescued him or her and and given you a, a new status in his son's kingdom. You've been transferred, Paul says. Right? out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son. In, in, in other words, the foundation of your life is no longer what you can achieve, but what Christ has achieved for you. What, what justifies you, what makes you right, is, is not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. And if you believe that, that that status is yours, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but only because of what Jesus has done for you, then you have a, you have a new center for your life. You, you'll no longer base your identity on your career achievements or, or your friends, what they think of you or the expectations of your parents, or even yourself. 
Instead, you'll, you'll base your identity and your life on grace. This is what made uh, Jean Valjean's experience of redemption so powerful in Victor Hugo's uh, Les Mes. You remember Jean Valjean? Uh, he was a, a convict who'd spent years of hard labor in prison. He's been released, but in a way he still, in his, in his own way, he carries the prison inside of him as he goes out into the world and the way he thinks about himself and the way he relates to other people. And so he's been released and he's looking for a place to stay for the night and a bishop, Bishop Muriel, kindly takes him in. And in the middle of the night, Valjean wakes up and he runs off with the bishop's silverware. It doesn't take long for him to be caught and the police take him back to the bishop to return the stolen goods. And what happens next shocks both the police and Jean Valjean. The, the bishop tells the police that the goods were given to Jean Valjean, not stolen, and in addition, the bishop goes even further and he gives the silver back to Jean Valjean. And, and the man is dumbstruck. After the police leave, uh, I love how it's put in the, the 1998 film version with Liam Neeson. The, the bishop says to him, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. Now I give you back to God. You see what's happening. The bishop had every right to see the thief arrested, to call for justice and to return him to prison. Instead, at his own expense, his act of forgiveness and, and, and mercy reckons Jean, Jean as, as righteous. Now, in the film and in the musical, you get the sense that Jean Valjean changes immediately, that this encounter with the bishop transforms him and he goes off to lead a new life. But in the book, it's clearer that he continues to struggle. He goes off and he steals again. It takes time for the bishop's words to have their full impact. But as he lives more and more into this gift of this new identity that the bishop has given him, he does change. He bears new fruit. The same is true for us. And, and this is why we must keep coming back to the, the basic truths of the gospel and, and work them into our hearts. This means daily repenting of, of the ways that we fall back into our old ways and believing again and again that God is our gracious Father who knows us and, and loves us. So, we must work the gospel in so that grace can, can change us from the inside out. But we also must work the gospel out into every area of life. And over the next several weeks in this series that Mike and I are preaching, we're going to be considering different areas of life, like community and culture and authority and, and work. We want to ask, what does it mean to live in the light of the resurrection in every area of our lives? To live in the light of, of grace like this? In the, in the time that we have left, I just want to focus again on, on Colossians 1, on these final verses, verses 15 to 20, where Paul turns his sight towards Christ. And there's a lot we could say about this amazing passage, and, 
Um, can't say everything. I, I just want to focus on one key theme here. Paul says over and over again that, that Christ is Lord of all. Verse 15, he's the firstborn of all creation. Uh, verse 16, in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. And, and all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he's, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. In verse 18, he should have the first place in, in everything. In verse 20, through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. We must work the gospel out into every area of life because of what Paul says here, that there is nothing over which Christ does not rule if he is the risen and ascended Lord. This means that anything good and true and beautiful was created in him and is meant to be enjoyed as a, as a gift. And anything fallen and broken and in need of redemption can find healing in him. And the same is true for us. And we are, we are broken and we are beautiful in so many ways. So, so how do we work this, this out? Well, the first thing to say is it's not just some abstract intellectual process here that we're engaging in as we think about what it means for Christ to be Lord of all. We're, t- we're talking about something deeply spiritual. It, it's not... It's not disconnected from what we were talking about before, about working the gospel into our heart. In fact, these verses, verses 9 to 20 in Greek, are one very long sentence. It's all one prayer for Paul. The the process of going in to address the needs of the soul and of considering the glories of, of the lordship of Christ, these are all of a piece for Paul. They're not in competition. We need both. And for Paul, they're, they're, they're united in prayer. For Paul, everything that we've been saying here today, these are not items on a to-do list. These are items on a, on a prayer list. Which, you know, just a, a side note about that, I, I think it's worth us asking, are, are we praying like this? You know, it's good to pray for, for those who are sick and, and uh, the specific needs that we have or that others may have. I don't think that we can expect to see the growth in the gospel that that we long for, to see it bearing fruit in our lives and in the lives of our church and of each other if we're not praying for each other as as Paul prayed for these fellow believers, that, that we would be growing in the knowledge of God, that we would be bearing fruit in every good work, that we would be enduring suffering with patience, we'd be joyfully giving thanks and that we would share this, this vision of, of the exalted Jesus. We, we haven't really gotten the message of grace if we're not praying. We're still depending on ourselves. But when we believe that we are saved by grace, it changes how we pray, but it also changes how we view everything else. Let's just consider one area today. Let's, let's consider the challenge of, of politics. How should a Christian engage in politics in a diverse society? It's a hard question. Apart from the gospel, it, it's all too easy for us to fall into one of two dangers. On the one hand, 
we can be fearful, and as a result, we don't engage at all. We avoid difficult conversations. We avoid people that make us uncomfortable. We might have some private opinions about what we think is right, but we never go public with them. And on the other hand, we can be prideful and self-righteous. We can focus only on what makes us right. We don't listen to others. We, we stick with our tribe. But the gospel gives us a new kind of approach when we allow it to, to bear fruit and to grow in us. First, it humbles us because it tells us that we all fall short. We all need grace. We all can be blind and, and self-deceived. And when you're, when you're humble like this, you're open to the views of others, to other parties, to other races. You listen. You don't assume that you're in the right. So the gospel humbles you. It takes away your pride. But second, the gospel also makes you bold. It takes away your fear. Because you know that Jesus is risen from the dead and because you belong to him, nothing can harm you. You're already accepted by grace. You don't have to be afraid. You can boldly speak the truth. You can stand up for what you believe in even when it's unpopular. If you give Jesus first place in everything, not yourself or your team, your people, then you can be humbly confident even as you navigate the, the hardest issues. And here's the exciting thing, friends. We're called to do this work together as the church. It doesn't mean that we're all going to agree. To say that Christ is Lord does not mean that we have all the answers of what his lordship should look like for each and every problem and challenge that we're going to encounter. We have some answers. Jesus gives us many pictures of, of the faith and the hope and the love that should characterize his world. But in this messy, broken world, we're often going to disagree on how to put his kingdom program into practice. And that's okay. Because part of the calling of Christians is to be just this kind of community, a community where we can disagree because our allegiance is to something, to, to someone higher than a party or a policy. As we pray together, as we wrestle together, as we work together, we show the world that Jesus is king and that we really do believe that we're saved by grace, not by works. Again, we can only do this as we not only know the gospel, but as we work it into our souls so that we have all the spiritual wisdom and, and understanding that we in, in this world so desperately needs. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Aslan is on the move. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and Father, as we gather together here today in this place, uh, we pray uh, for the knowledge of you uh, to be growing in us. We pray for boldness to, to act, uh, to pursue the good works that you've called us to do. We pray for endurance and patience in, in the face of difficult suffering and struggle. We pray for joyful gratitude to be filled in us, uh, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done for us. And above all, we, we pray for a vision of Jesus at your right hand, uh, that we might know his, his grace and also his power uh, that he has revealed uh, for us and for this world, uh, that all things are being made new uh, by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this message that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that we have this hope uh, for ourselves and for this world. Would you continue to work in us and through us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.